Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology, and first daily Mormon history podcast. I'm Rick Bennett. In our final conversation with Jim Lucas and Jonathan Neville, we're going to talk about the Gospel Topics essays. They're going to critique them and tell us which ones they think need revision and why. So you won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. All right. Well, I've kept you guys a long time. Do you have any last thoughts you guys want to share? Any new things you're working on? Anything we missed? I'm working on some pretty awesome stuff, but we don't want to get into that. Besides your I, well, I have a book coming out called The Rational Restoration. Okay. That kind of takes this narrative about Joseph Smith, but expands it in even more. Because one of the things the critics say is, well, the whole idea of the restoration is irrational, you know, and the nature of God and all this. I go through, I have about, I don't know, 60 or 70 reframes about how to look at life in general as well as the restoration but through the, the eyes of the restoration and how it's the fulfillment of Christian aspirations for centuries. And, and they can't see it because of the way it's been presented to them. And because their ministers have an income to defend too, that's an element of it. But I think that the, the restoration was presented to Christianity almost in a way to provoke a reaction instead of to demonstrate how their fulfilling the aspirations you guys have been talking about for centuries. And that's how I'm, I'm trying to reframe that part of it. But I have lots of other reframes. And that'll be out next week? <laughs> It'll be out before September. Oh, wow. That's pretty yeah, quick. Yeah, it's, it's over a year late. You're pretty prodigious with all the books you come out with. Well, you know, it's, it's real, been real interesting because this one, I, we had pre-sold it last summer. Oh, wow. And I've, in response to various feedback I've gotten, because I have a few people that read some of my stuff, and other developments in, in Well, it's faster than the 15 years Richard Turley did on his second book. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he was, he was researching a lot of detail. I that, know, I know. And, whereas I've done some thick books with lots of research in them, yeah. but this one is, is intended to be more of putting it all together, I guess you could say, and expanding it beyond these issues of church history, like this narrative of Joseph Smith. Yeah. That's not really a question of how do we interpret church history. It's a different narrative way to understand these things. And I think that's what is needed more than anything else. So I finally decided, okay, I'm going to put some time into this. I've, I've looked at rationality from a lot of perspectives, a lot of different non-LDS perspectives, um, not even Christian perspectives, to, to try to wrap it all up into one great whole, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And to me, it is very rational. The whole thing is rational. It's awesome. So I'm really excited about that book. Cool. But, but I also have a career as a full-time artist, so I'm right. spending a lot of time doing art, and it's mm -hmm. hard to balance it all. That's why I say before September I'll have it done. Well, that's cool. Yep. Jim? So um, I need to circle around and make my little thing about uh, Richard Bushman. Okay. So um, I had the privilege of working as being one of Richard's readers on Rough Stone Rolling. Really? He would, uh, yeah, he would send... He's in the acknowledgments. I'm, I'm acknowledged. Oh, in the, wow. In the beginning. Did not there. know that. So he'd send me his drafts and I, you know, and he had several people. I mean, I was yeah. certainly not, but he'd send me them. I'd comment on them and so forth. So I feel like I have a little insight into the production of Rough Stone Rolling. And I can say that even Richard, who was trying to go back and go through every source mm -hmm. that there was to make a really comprehensive book. Um, you know, even Richard Bushman doesn't 
know everything. He hasn't, you know, no human being can know all the stuff. No human being can have done deep dives on every single piece of historical source. Right. It's just not possible. So you have to rely on the work that other people have done in certain areas. Well, and he seemed to be really responding to Fon Brody. And all yeah, yes, he was very much, well, the, he, um, he was very consciously responding to Fon Brody. He saw Rough Stone Rolling as the next uh, you know, iteration uh, to Rough Stone Rolling. I mean, uh, No Man Knows My History. Right. In fact, he selected his publisher because it was the same publisher who had published No Man Know My, Knows My History. And so it, Turner's coming up with the next one. Did you guys know that? Yes, yes. Yeah. So it uh, is, uh, so it was, you know, so he's very consciously looking at things like that. And, but the thing is, you know, he, he went through every source, but he couldn't do a deep dive into every single source. It's just yeah. humanly impossible. Well, you know, it's and, funny. The biggest complaint I hear about outside of Firm Foundation mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. about Richard Bush's work is he didn't dive deep enough into polygamy. And it's like, that book was already long enough. <laughs> you want to dive deep into polygamy? Oh, yes. But anyway. No, but the point is, is that even, even, even Richard in, in Rough Stone Rolling had to rely on other people who had done research in the areas. And so in the chapter on the Book of Mormon, um, you know, that was... Because he had kind of covered that already, sort of in Joseph Smith in the beginnings of Mormonism, his earlier book. Right. That was not one of his deep dives. So uh, you know when you when you cite uh, Rough Stone Rolling to say, oh, but Stone in the Hat, Rough Stone Rolling, I can tell you that he did not do the kind of deep dive research into the sources that we did in this book because that was not. His focus. His focus. Yeah. That was something you just had to have that in there to help tell the complete story. He was much more focused on Joseph's broader environment, Joseph's personality, plural marriage, even though people complain that there's <laughs> not a lot about plural marriage. There's a lot about plural marriage. See, the, I got to tell you, when I read Rough Stone Rolling, that was my first big deep dive into church history. And even though people complain about polygamy, like that stuff made me sick to my stomach. <laughs> I was like, Ugh. oh yeah, no, no, he <laughs> he uh, that definitely uh, he he uh, Richard told me once that a man had told him that the uh, the rough stone rolling was church history for people with hair on their chest. <laughs> That's he, and he liked that. Uh, he thought that was a funny, a funny reaction. But it, you know, he's not just funny as a joke. But he felt that was kind of a lot of people's reaction yeah. to it. But my point is, is that I, I, I think that um, you know, I've cautioned people uh, uh, citing Rough Stone Rolling, especially the Book of Mormon chapter, as some kind of gospel doctrine, because I can tell you that. That was not a chapter that he did a deep, deep, deep dive into. He was doing deep, deep dives into some other stuff in mm-hmm. Bruce Rustone Rolling, which was stuff that hadn't been covered, he felt, before, like the cultural context and yeah. personality and, and things like that. That's what he was, that's what he was really working money on. The money and the ginseng and stuff. and the Things like that. The, I was like, this is great. 
that yeah. that that was makes the, a lot more sense. The kind of history that hadn't been put out before. Right. Whereas the Book of Mormon origins that had been that was plowed ground. So he was kind of relying on the other people for that mm-hmm. particular aspect of the book, mm-hmm. and he was and he was focused on other things that hadn't been brought out in in the histories of uh, Joseph Smith uh, so much before. That that was where he did the deep dive, and. Um, you know, by 2005, when it was published, you know, Mike Quinn, Mormonism, Magic Worldview came out in 1987, and a lot of other Stone in the Hat, you know, work had come out since then, following on Mike Quinn. I, th- I see Mike Quinn as being the real kind of instigator of, of, of this new kind of trend in church history to focus on the folk magic stuff. So that stuff was well developed by the time and Sandra Tanner and Sandra Tanner, <laughs> but you know, but that was all well developed by the time Richard got around to writing Rough Stone Rolling. So I, I just would, you know, I don't know if Richard would, uh, 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 you know, agree with my take on it, but um, I, I just would emphasize that uh, on the Stone in the Hat issue, I, I think it's not fair to cite uh, Rough Stone Rolling like it's gospel doctrine because I can. Be, because, you know, it, it wasn't the focus of that book for Richard. Right. And um, and as, you know, I've dis- had lots of discussions about this with him s- subsequently. And, you know, he, you know. Well, and he endorsed your book, so it he, can't be all bad, right? He, he uh, <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's yeah. a much, I, I would say, you know, Jonathan always likes to talk about multiple working hypotheses. Richard's very pro yeah. multiple working hypothesis. So he, well, and as Steve Pineacre mentioned, I and I read Rough Stone Rolling, and I did not remember this. I, there's a footnote in there about the melee theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, was he, like, what? That's a, a Rough Stone Rolling. Yeah, because yeah, he, you know, he's 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 very open. He's very open. He's mm-hmm. want to, you know, try to cite all the sources and mm-hmm. and so forth. So, so I, I would just that's that would be my comment to kind of put Rough Stone Rolling in a larger context. Uh, and of course, he's got his book on the gold plates coming out in September. So right. uh, we'll all see what he has to say about that. Uh, you know, low yeah, these I'm twenty get years for that. I hope. Yeah, twenty years after Rough Stone Rolling. Um, so anyway, that's just I want to kind of put Rough Stone Rolling in a kind of a larger context. Uh, yeah. uh, then, which again is just as Jonathan has mentioned. It seems to be a habit on this particular topic, and you know people do it on other topics too. But there seems to be this tendency to narrow in, zero in on the stone in the haddock statements, and but not put them in their larger context, not understand what was behind why the person was saying it, how it fit into the larger, you know, picture of things that was going on uh, around the people making these particular uh, statements. And the gospel topics essay are very poor on this. Uh, of course, they're limited in length, so, you know, the, obviously that was uh, a difficulty too, but, you know, they they are very poor on giving context. And, well... So you guys' biggest issues are translation of the Book of Mormon. I'm sure Jonathan has a big problem with DNA. Am I right? With DNA? Yeah, Ugo Prego's Gospel Topics essay. Oh, well, you know, I haven't really gotten into that. Oh, you haven't gotten into that? Are there any other ones that you think are poor? Oh, on the essays? Yeah. Oh, okay, I didn't understand. I think the, I've, I've really criticized the Gospel Topics one. 
But the one on Book of Mormon Geography is another one that's a problem. Because when it first came out, it had several just factual errors in it. And so I did a blog post and pointed them out. And three weeks later, they revised it. But they, and they accepted some of my criticisms by omitting the erroneous material. <laughs> but they retained some of it that is also still erroneous. And so I think if that was... Isn't, the, isn't their statement, we're agnostic on geography and quit, quit looking at it? Well, they <laughs> sort of. But they, say, they don't say anything about Camorra to begin with. And they say there, there's never been any... Uh, I think they say there's never been any revealed geography. And that's what my critics say to me. Well, there's no evidence of revelation to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. And I said, well, there's no evidence of revelation about John the Baptist either. He just appeared. And they went to the Hill Kumar, they went in the repository. It wasn't a matter of revelation. So it's a, it's a um, what do you call it, a, a red herring sort of, a straw okay. man thing to say there's no revelation. Oh. It was experience. They, they don't go around talking about the, the revelation of Peter, James, and John, because that would make it a spiritual, immaterial thing. Instead, they said it was actually Peter, James, and John. Okay. And that's how it is with the Hill Kimura. So the geography, geography translation. translation. DNA, I, I do have some problems with the essay, the way it's presented. Why? I'm not surprised. But I haven't, got, haven't okay. analyzed it in detail. Any others? Uh, how do you like their I think I did a criticism of another one. I can't even remember now. Oh, really? Is that how do you like their polygamy? I, well, like I say, I haven't done a deep dive in that. When, when I have looked into it, I've read some of these journals from the young girls in Nauvoo and stuff, and I thought, does anyone have teenage daughters who have written journals about being in love with movie stars and stuff? And, and I started thinking, I don't know how credible all this stuff is. And so I know when they were, I, I know Brian Hales has gone into it in a lot of detail, and I'll, I'll defer to him on it. I, I mean, I'm not going to say, because I haven't studied it, if he's wrong about any of it. But I suspect there was a lot of embellishment about Catherine it. Catherine Danes, that was the other person. Okay. That on the, no, think of me. Just remembered. Yeah. <laughs> but again, for me, it's, it's people who object to it, it's more of a cultural objection than a religious objection. Because, as I say, I've, I've been around the world and other cultures where it's not a big deal. Okay. And they can't understand why anti-Mormon critics think it's a big deal. And so... And, and it's hard for us to, to be objective about our own culture, right? Because right? we think our standards. It's like my issue with China. Everybody's you know? always right. Yeah. Themselves. Well, a lot of people I know are really critical of the Chinese government, for example. But I've lived there. I see how people live. They're happy. They have great lives. And so I have a different perspective on that just because of having experienced that. And it's, it's the same. If you live in a culture where polygamy is common and accepted, it's not the same problem as you have living with it here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I think if you lived in ancient Israel, no one would even question it, right? So that's, in a nutshell, my take on polygamy. I haven't gotten into it in enough detail to, to assess the sources. Okay. So just to be clear, I have done, I, you know, my research is not as broad or as deep as Jonathan's. So I've been focused on the translation of the Book of Mormon mm -hmm. So my only gospel topic essay that I would like to see extensively rewritten would be the one on translation. translation. Okay. But I, I would say, you know, just to be clear again, uh, you know, you, we, we are advocates, it's true, because we're trying to rebalance the scales. You know, it's fallen so far, the consensus has fallen so far over onto the uh, uh, stone in the hat that you know, we're having to emphasize and argue for the Yerman Thummim 
we feel just to bring the balance back. So if they were to rewrite the Gospel Topics essay with an emphasis on what Joseph and Oliver said, but wanted to mention the stone in the hat stuff, I mean, that, you know, okay, that's in the historical record. It, it should be mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we would, you know, we're not saying expunge that from the historical record and just ignore it, you know, but we just put it back into balance and, um, you know, don't omit the primary, two primary eyewitnesses statements uh, yeah. on your issue that you're writing about. We, we like people to make informed decisions is a summary of it. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, my model is the faith model, right? Mm-hmm. The facts, assumptions, inferences, and so on. And, and that's because everybody should be dealing with the same facts. If, you, if one group says, well, we're not going to consider these facts because they contradict our agenda, then that's an illegitimate approach. And so that's why we, we don't favor saying you shouldn't read David Whitmer because he's a liar. That's not what we're saying at all. But we're saying consider all the context. And, but we are saying, if you're going to omit anybody, don't omit Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. That's, that defeats the whole point, you know. Mm-hmm. If, if you're only going to look at one or two sources, start with those two. <laughs> don't start with the, these Emma Smith and David Whitmer thing. That's not where you start. Okay. And, I mean, to, to go back to this essay that Joseph Smith III wrote in yeah. 1886, so maybe we kind of relate to him because he was a lawyer also. <laughs> but... Uh, he, he had this simple statement. He said, um, you know, the, I, I can't remember, it's quoted in here, but I'm not going to look <laughs> it up. But he basically says, who are the two primary witnesses? You know, Joseph the seer and Oliver Cowdery were the two primary witnesses. So we should give them credibility over somebody who was at best an occasional observer. Mm-hmm. Uh, is basically, I'm paraphrasing something, but basically that's the point Joseph Smith III made when he came to the conclusion that, you know, uh, I, there's just no basis for the stone in the hat stuff. We, we go, go with the Yerman Thummim, despite what was in the essay that he published purporting to be an interview with his mother. <laughs> cool. Which I might say that we also address in the book why Joseph Smith III may have elaborated on the interview. Yeah. And I, I, I think that it's actually, I, I think I could see his justifications and I can accept his justifications for why he might have done that. And we discussed that in the book also. So, okay. I know I need to let you go. Are, are you working on any other projects, Jim? Uh, I am. Uh, yeah. Somebody would like to fund a movie. I'm trying to make a movie. Oh, really? <laughs> About, um, Who killed Joseph Smith? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is wholly different. Wholly different thing. It's I've I have a story I've written uh, that's a haunted house uh, 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 Halloween, a Halloween haunted house movie. Is it Mormon related? None, absolutely no, not. not. It's got lots of, <clears throat> but with lots of pro life and Christian undertones. Okay, and so that's I. I, I moved here to Utah with the intent of just quickly wrapping up this book <clears throat> and then moving on to that. And I'm still trying to wrap this up. <laughs> but, <laughs> You're still on your book tour. But yeah, yeah still on the book tour. Yeah. But someday we're going to get back to making All Hallows Day Eve. <laughs> okay. And are you guys selling those hats? Are you trying to sell them? Or is those, are you can get them hats? on Boyd Tuttle's Digital Legend uh, website. Is that who published your book? Was yeah. Digital Legends? Okay. Yeah. So you got your Yerman Thummim on the front, but 
But the key thing is the back. The back stone. No, sure he, no hat. <laughs> no stone in the hat. <laughs> this, is, right. this is Team Yerman Thummim. Team Yerman Thummim. <laughs> That's right. But, but again, we, we don't see this as a contentious thing at all. It's, it, it really is a matter, I use the phrase of clarity, charity, and understanding, because we want clarity, first of all, so everybody's on the same page as far as the facts goes. And then charity, we acknowledge other people have different interpretations. That's not a problem. And we seek to understand one another. And that's how, in my view, we can get to this point where there's no more contention, like King Benjamin talked about. Because it, once we get to that point, we can have rational conversations. Nobody gets mad about anything. No, there's no anger involved. We're just working together to improve our lives and the lives of those around us and our society and do it through the gospel. It's, it's pretty simple, really. <laughs> And, you know, it's too bad that people feel an ownership of their ideas that they feel they have to argue about and contend about. And all we're trying to do is say, if, if you're hiding evidence or withholding evidence, then we have a problem with that. But if you have a different interpretation, that's fine with us. Does that make sense? I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. So Don Bradley, a person I think we all have a lot of admiration well and respect for. So I had a long conversation about this with him, and he kind of. Uh, now I may be misrepresenting him, so if he, if I am, and you know, Don, should, I need to get you back on to. Yeah, there you, you can <laughs> you correct can refute Jim Lucas. Right? Yeah, you yeah. Can correct me and probably say many other brilliant things. Uh, but basically, what he said, he says, I agree that the Urim and Thummim were the primary interpretation devices. That's what God intended. That's what Don says. That's what Don says. But he said, I, I have to allow that maybe the seer stone was available as a backup. And you know what? I can, I can, I can go with that. Okay. You know, uh, that's as long as you, you know, uh, recognize the Urim and Thummim, that God intended that to be the primary method of translation. If, if you know, maybe you want to have a little something for the seer stone. Uh, like Joseph Smith III said, you know, if David, you know, Joseph used the seer stone, it became kind of like a Yerman Thummim to him. He kind of allowed that maybe possibly, but then he said evidently the chief instrument was the Yerman Thummim. So, you know, well, we, there's, 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 there's room, you know, to, uh, uh, you know, allow something for the seer stone. I, I, I could, I mean, I wouldn't agree with it. I wouldn't believe it myself, but, you know, I'm okay with with people who say, yeah, there's so many Searstone accounts. It had to be something involved there. We think the demonstration hypothesis and then the revelation hypothesis. He may have taken the stones out of the Yerman Thumb and put it in his hat to get a revelation. Like Doctrine and Covenants, was it 14, 16, 17? It says they came through the Yerman Thummim. You don't need the gold plates to get those revelations. So they could have taken, Joseph could have taken the stones from the Yerman Thummim and put them in a hat so nobody could see them because he was commanded not to show them to anybody and gotten revelations like that. So, and people could look at that and assume maybe that was the seer stone and assume he was using his hat for other things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we could, I could deal with some other little, you know, variations and, Mm -hmm. and and that, but only, uh, you know, my strong argument is that, but you have to, take all of the sources, and you have to put them into context. You know, as he's been talking, there's one other point about all this that we omitted, and that is 
the, the narrative of the plates. And a lot of people have pointed out there was no, even Mormonism unveiled. They said, that why did he even have the plates if they didn't okay. use them for translating? But in the Doctrine and Covenants, if you remember in DNC 10, the Lord said, don't keep translating or don't retranslate the book of Lehi. Instead, you have to translate the plates of Nephi. Well, how would Joseph have even, that, that was a, a ridiculous revelation if Joseph wasn't using the plates because uh, he wouldn't know what plates he was translating. He was just reading stuff off a of stone. And then Mormon's, Moroni's direction to him to not look at the sealed portion also doesn't make sense because if he wasn't using the plates, he wouldn't have any reason to look at any sealed portion anyway. And so the, anything. The, the narrative, all the narrative of the plates, the messenger having him in his backpack on the way to Camorra and all that, none of that narrative makes sense if he was just reading words off the stone. And there's the, what I call the talisman theory. What's the other one? The, um, the idea that it inspired him by having the plates in proximity. Uh, mm -hmm. there's, there's, a, there's a word. What's the word? Talisman. I, I, I catalyst. Catalyst. The catalyst. Catalyst theory. theory. Oh, catalyst okay. theory. But to me, that's a real stretch. But even that doesn't explain the revelation in DNC 10 about you translate the, plate, the engravings on the plates of Nephi because he wouldn't have had any reason to distinguish between the plates. Of course, as you know, and the readers have seen me before, I think he didn't have the plates of Nephi at that time, and he didn't get those until he went to Fayette. And that's why the revelation the Lord told him, don't keep translating these plates, you have to translate the plates of Nephi. And that's why he gave those a bridge plates to the messenger who took him to Camorra, where he picked up the plates of Nephi and took those to Fayette. That's why he translated those up there. But, but the whole narrative of the plates... The, the the critics have pointed that out, that the idea that they had to record these plates in the first place, Mormon had to abridge them, they had to preserve them for all these years, hide them from their enemies, and and then give them to Joseph Smith. He had to preserve them and hide them from people trying to steal them. Also, they could just sit there for not be Under used. a cloth. Under a cloth or outside, they even say. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And so if if I was looking at this objectively... I would say the stone in the hat kind of refutes everything Joseph said about the plates. And that's another reason. Let's put it this way. It's another factor to consider when you're evaluating multiple working hypotheses is what's plausible, what makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that, that's just one that came up when, when he was talking. Yeah. All right. We don't have time to elaborate. Yeah. Well, why don't you show everybody the book again? Okay. Um, it's... By means of the Urim and Thummim, James Lucas, Jonathan Neville. It's Restoring translation to the restoration. What, say that again? Restoring translation to the restoration oh, the is the yeah. subtitle. Um, it's available on Amazon. D is it Digital Legend or Digital Legend? Digital Legend. Digital Legend. It does not have an S. Yeah. No, S. no S. Because I think there's another website that that's has right. an S. No, no S. That's important. Um, any place? That you I assume it's a Desert book. I don't know. Oh, I haven't yes, is it, it the Desert book? Yes. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. Wow. Um, yeah, they've ordered a lot of them, actually. It, it, um, I'm not sure if it's on the shelves of everyone yet. You have but to ask for it. It's have like, made, they have it's placed like Von, Brown, Von Brody's No Man No Man's My History is under a brown paper bag. <laughs> we, we actually haven't gone to a Deseret book. I think uh, Larry Foster, he had the uh, Mormon Shakers in the United community, and he went to Deseret book, and he was like, well, we've got it behind the counter here. Oh, really? <laughs> I want to put that on the shelf. <laughs> okay. Well, this is definitely a faithful narrative, so All there's right. no reason for it to not be on the shelf. <laughs> right. So. All right. Well, James Lucas, Jonathan Neville, thank you so much for being here on Gospel Tangents. We'll have to get you back on sometime. 
Thank you for having us. We enjoyed it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I hope you enjoyed a conversation with Jim Lucas and Jonathan Neville, co-authors of By Means of the Urim and Thummim. So you definitely want to check out that book. Jonathan and Jim, thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking to me for so long and letting me give you a hard time. So it was a fun conversation. In our next conversation, I'm excited to introduce a Baptist pastor. It's called Crossing the Divide. It's about my uh, journey from being a Baptist to being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The title comes from basically two books before it. In the 90s, there was a book written by Craig Blomberg and Stephen Robinson called How Wide the Divide. And then in the 2000s, Robert Millett and uh, Greg Johnson wrote a book called Bridging the Divide. Both of those are about evangelicals and Baptists, or evangelicals and Latter day Saints in conversation with one another. So I crossed the bridge, so mine is crossing the divide. If you'd like to hear the entire interview uncut, subscribe on either Patreon or at gospeltangents.com. For just $5 a month, you can hear the entire audio uninterrupted. On our $10 tier, if you would like to see the whole video, you can see that uh, either on youtube.com slash gospel tangents, or I've got a special Facebook group devoted for uh, full videos. So subscribe at gospeltangents.com and uh, sign up for just $10 a month. For $20 a month, if you'd like to get some bonus content, uh, maybe some of the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor, you can sign up for that. And then if you'd like to talk to me for $100 a month, we'll, we'll do a monthly phone call on something like Zoom, and you can ask me anything you want. So thanks again. Also, don't forget about the merch, mugs, t-shirts, um, hats, things like that. I'm trying to get the ties up there. Hopefully I can get up up there. And uh, thanks again for watching Gospel Tangents. And click here for some more videos.